Please open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 5. And uh, let, me, let me just reiterate, please, please sign up for the dinner so that we know how many people are coming, we know how much food to prepare. These are guys doing this, so we need all the help we can get. So we need to know how many people to uh, prepare for. So, well, let's pray. Our gracious Father, We come before you with thanksgiving in our hearts because you have provided for us through Jesus Christ a firm foundation. He is the rock upon which we have and are building our lives. And that rock will not move no matter what storms may come, no matter how strong the wind blows. We thank you as we just sang in that last song that one day every, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be represented at the throne. Lord, I couldn't help as I sang that think about the Dem tribe and how just this year for the first time there are now believers from that tribe. And, and that, Lord, we have had the incredible opportunity and privilege to be part of that through supporting the Stokes. God, you are so good to us to not only provide for us, but to let us be part of what you're doing. It is our joy and privilege. And now this morning, Lord, we ask that you would teach us from your word. We ask your Holy Spirit will move among us giving us clear understanding and applying these truths that we are looking at, applying them to our lives, Lord, that these would not just fill our heads with knowledge, but fill our hearts with, with the truth that will transform our lives. And for this, we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you may be familiar with the story of the, the nine-year-old boy who was sitting at his desk at school. And all of a sudden, there was a puddle underneath his feet, and the front of his pants were all wet. His heart stops as he realizes that when the boys find out, they will never let him live it down. When the girls find out, they'll never talk to him again. So he bows his head on his table, and he prays, Dear God, this is an emergency. I need help now. And as he looks up from his prayer, 
He sees the teacher coming toward him with a look on her face that he has been discovered. Well, as the teacher is approaching him one way, one of his classmates named Susie is coming the other way with a bowl filled with water. She stumbles and spills the water all over his lap. He pretends to be angry, but he shoots up a quiet prayer. Thank you, God, I've been delivered. Now, rather than ridicule, right, he gets scooped up by his teacher. She takes him downstairs, puts gym shorts on while his pants dry, and, and and then he comes back up, he finds all of the, the kids on the floor cleaning up around the, the, the desk. And the sympathy is wonderful. But his life would have it, the ridicule that he should have had was directed toward little Susie. She tried to help, but they kept saying, you've done enough, you big klutz. Just stay away. As the day progressed, the sympathy for him grew more and more, and the ridicule for her grew more and more. Well, at the end of the day, when they were standing at the bus stop, he walks over to Susie and he whispers to her, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And she said, I wet my pants once too. I love that story. Because, first of all, I could have used a friend like Susie when I was in fourth grade. And I found myself in a very similar situation. But also because this story paints a picture for us of, of the gospel. See, just like little Susie removed the embarrassment that he would have felt, Jesus has removed the condemnation that we would have received. Just like little Susie took the ridicule on herself that would have surely been his, Jesus has taken the punishment that would surely have been ours. She, in a sense, took his place. And that is what Jesus has done for us. So that he might provide for us the gift of salvation. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is laying out for us some of the benefits that we have because of Christ. Oftentimes when we think of the gospel, we simply think about the fact that when a person puts their faith in Christ, they're no longer going to go to hell, now they're going to go to heaven one day. And we kind of stop there. But there's so much more that we need to understand and not just to fill our heads with knowledge, but so that, so that when that truth gets deep inside our heart, it has, does a work of transformation. It produces fruit. It produces a desire within us to live in such a way that God is glorified. That people are built up. And so we must understand to a deeper level what has been granted to us through Jesus Christ. Not just to be in heaven one day. <clears throat> and so would you follow along with me as I read from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified 
by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now there's a lot we can say from this passage, and we're not going to deal with every, every detail of every verse. But I want to I draw your attention to three of the primary benefits that we have laid out for us here of our justification. And the first is found in verse 1, and that is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order to understand this peace, we need to have at least some idea of what has happened in the first four chapters of the book of Romans. In fact, that word therefore is that connecting word that helps us to realize that what has happened before is critical to what's about to be said. It forms the foundation for what is now being said. And so if you go back to chapter 1, you see that uh, after the introduction, when the Apostle Paul has, has uh, said about the fact that the, he's not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. And in verse 18 he says, For the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is being poured out, he says, against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. When we think about wrath, we often think about somebody flying off the handle in a fit of rage, uncontrolled. That's not what is meant when it talks about the wrath of God. It's talking about that just punishment for the holy God to sinful humanity. It is what we deserve. It is very controlled. It is driven by the holiness of God. He cannot let sin go without punishment. Therefore, his wrath, his just punishment, is being revealed, is being poured out from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he makes the case in chapter 1 that there is nobody who's outside of responsibility to that. We're all accountable. 
for that. And he continues through to, to talk about uh, what this is all about. He gets down to chapter 3, and he says, For there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understand. There's none who seek after God. All have turned aside and become useless. There's no one who does good, not even one. We're all in this boat together. There's nobody that, that's, that's exempt. Nobody outside of that. And he says in verse 23, for all have sinned. We're all in this situation together. In fact, in chapter 5, he refers to us as enemies. In verse 10, we're enemies. We don't like to think of us as enemies of God, but in reality, because of sin, we are at enmity with God. We've been separated from him. That's our condition. Before salvation, we were enemies of God. Peace, the word peace, literally means to bind together that which has been separated. And so when we talk about we have peace with God, we're talking about the fact that in our sin, we are separated from God, at enmity with Him, but because of Christ, He has brought us together again. We have peace with God. And secondly, we have peace only by faith in Christ. Only by faith in Christ. He says we have been justified by faith. Because of that, we have peace with God. You go back again to chapter 3, you see, starting with verse 21, after talking about all the sin and the fact that we're all in this together, it says, but, verse 21, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by both the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sin. That's referring, That's a past tense issue. That's referring to this fact that we are all in this together. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to be in a relationship with God. And then he also says, and fall short. That's a present tense verb. That means that we are ongoing. We are falling short of God's perfect standard. And so we can never earn it. We don't deserve it, nor can we ever get it or earn it on our own. We're in a bad place. But he goes on to say, we are being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God is giving us a gift by grace. That's undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. We're giving it as a gift. Through what? Through the purchase price of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, whom God displayed publicly, verse 25, as a propitiation in his blood through faith. He's referring to the cross. God publicly displayed Christ on the cross as a propitiation. Big theological word, which simply means God's wrath is satisfied. That wrath that's being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, a just punishment of God is satisfied. At the cross. Through faith, he says. He said this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins 
previously committed, all the things that have been done prior to Jesus coming and dying, all those things, the blood of bulls and goats could not cover that sin. God allowed it for a time and passed over it previously. Why? Because he knew that in the fullness of time he would send forth a son and that son would be the perfect sacrifice. And he says in verse 26, for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. He is both just in demanding a punishment and he's the justifier in paying it for us. Through what? Through faith in Jesus. Where is boasting? It's excluded. But what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For maintaining a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We have peace only by faith in Christ. Christ did the work, accomplished salvation. We appropriate in our lives by exercising faith by putting our trust in Jesus. And chapter 4 is just to illustrates the fact that it was not by, uh, by works. In the first eight verses, looking at David and looking at Abraham, at verses uh, 9 through 12, it's not by circumcision. And in verses 13 and following, it's not by keeping the law. None of these things can bring peace with God only through faith in Christ and the work of God on our behalf. And so we have peace with God. Before salvation, we are enemies. We have peace only through faith in Christ. This peace that we have, uh, we can be confused about peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God. Um, Kenneth Wiest, in his um, word stories, the Greek New Testament, says there is a difference between having peace with God and having the peace of God in the heart. The first has to do with justification, the second with sanctification. The first is the result of legal standing. The second, the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. The first is static, never fluctuates. The second changes from hour to hour. The first every Christian has. The second every Christian may have. We have peace with God. That's our standing. It never fluctuates. It's our condition before God, position. Peace of God is, is when the Holy Spirit is working his peace as we entrust ourselves and our trust our circumstances into the Lord's hands and he's still working that in our lives. It's what we feel, what we experience. One is a position, one is a practice. And so we have this standing, this peace with God. Secondly, verse 2, through whom also, through whom, through Christ, also we've obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have a standing in grace. We have peace with God and a standing in grace. What that means is we have permanent access through Christ. That we're having obtained means to, to have something, to hold on to it. And it's in the, well, well, in the, in the Greek, it's in the perfect tense, which means that ha something happened in the past but has ongoing ramifications into the future. There are different tenses in the, in the Greek. There's an aorist tense which talks about something that simply happened at some point. Present tense means something is continuing to go on and on and on. It's in the present. Perfect means something happened in the past but continues to have ongoing ramifications. We've obtained 
something. At a point in time, it was given to us. We obtained it, and we continue to have it, and it continues on into the future. It's permanent. And what is it we've obtained? Our introduction, or our access, our approach to God in this grace. And it's by faith that we stand in it. A little introduction. Somebody said this word was used of one who secured for his friend an audience with the king. Properly clothed and into his presence and favor forever. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's brought us with him to the Father, to the King, and said, this is mine. I purchased him. I purchased her. And they are mine. And now we have this standing with God because of Christ. Permanent access to the throne. It also means that we stand fully pardoned and perfectly righteous. That's what justification is. It's an accounting term. In the accounting world, it would be, let's say you have a debt of a million dollars, and you cannot possibly pay that debt. And so you're in the negative, a million dollars. And someone comes along and pays your debt for you. That's wonderful. But now you've still got no money. You've got a zero balance. But let's say that person not only pays off your million-dollar debt, but then places another million into your account, and now you're a millionaire. That's justification. And what that means spiritually is that we had a debt we couldn't pay to God, and that is our, because of our sin. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. We had a debt that was greater than anything we could do. Jesus came and pardoned that debt. But we've got to be perfectly righteous to get into heaven. And we don't have it. And so Jesus took his perfect righteousness and placed it on our account. And so now we are declared righteous before God. That when God looks at us through Christ, he sees one who is fully pardoned and perfectly righteous. That's our standing. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. We have to know that. Because our practice doesn't always match with our position. And sometimes our practice causes us to believe that we don't have the position. When in reality, when we understand our position, that should affect the way we live out our practice. I want to live like my standing is with God. I can't do it in my own strength, so therefore I need to trust the Holy Spirit to work in me. I need to depend on God every day to help bring that about in my life. If I operate by how I feel on a given day, then I'm going to make all kind of dumb and stupid choices. Because I don't know who I am. I don't know what my standing is. That's why it's important to understand what the Bible teaches and to believe it by faith. We always feel it. We believe it because it's the Word of God. We have been fully pardoned and perfectly righteous. We stand in this place, in this grace. So we have peace with God and we have a, a standing in grace. Then he says, oh, we exalt or we rejoice in the hope of the glory 
of God. We have reason to rejoice. Reason to rejoice. In fact, three times he uses this word exalt in these verses. The end of verse 2, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. In verse 11, and not only this, we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a reason to rejoice. Somebody once said, peace is joy resting. Joy is peace dancing. <laughs> we have peace with God. That goes hand in hand with joy. Opposite sides of the same coin, if you will. So what are these three areas that we are able to rejoice in? First of all, we rejoice in our future hope. The word hope, it means a desire of something good with the expectation of obtaining it. It's not like we may hope that, uh, that you know, today's meal is going to be pretty good when we get home. We hope that our favorite team is going to win. Or we hope that it's not going to rain. Or we hope that it's going to rain. Or we hope this. Or we, hope we have all kinds of hopes. That's not the Bible hope. The Bible hope is a sure and confidence because it's based on the promises of God. That's the hope that we have. It's a sure and firm hope, a future hope. This glory of God that he's talking about is talking about what's coming. In the Cornerstone Biblical Commentary, uh, the, the author says this, God's glory in this context is best taken as a reference to the eternal blessedness of being with God forever and experiencing his life and goodness in all of its fullness. It refers to that illumination of man's whole being by the radiance of the divine glory, which is man's true destiny, but which was lost through sin as it will be restored, not just as it was, but immeasurably enriched through God's own personal participation in man's humanity in Jesus Christ. And when man's redemption is finally consummated at the return of Jesus Christ. It's not like we're just going to go back and, and, and get the glory that we once had before the fall in the garden. We're going to get more because of Christ. We have that to look forward to. And so we rejoice in that future hope. We go through this life with that in mind, knowing this isn't all there is. We have a future hope, and it's a confident hope. It is secure because Jesus Christ has secured it for me, and I'm looking forward to it. And so there's joy. But he also says in verse 3, not only this, and oftentimes, again, this is kind of where it ends for us. We think about uh, the fact that we're saved, we've got this future hope, and so we're excited about that. But what about here and now? He says, we, not only this, but we also exalt in what? <laughs> in our tribulations. We rejoice in our present troubles. Because we know something. That is, that these tribulations, these difficulties bring about 
perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character hope and hope does not disappoint you see we can rejoice in the difficulties that we're experiencing even now because we know that God is at work in them to bring about the maturity within you and I he's working in these things He's producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The word tribulation means being crushed by afflictions. Have you ever been there? You feel defeated. You feel uh, oppressed. You feel crushed under the weight of your circumstances, of, of whatever's going on, whether it's a relationship. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's the result of what somebody else did that brought this about in your life. Maybe it's the result of a, a, a death of a loved one. And you feel crushed under the weight of that reality. And maybe something that you have done that has brought these consequences on. Regardless, you are feeling the, the pressure of the difficulties of life. And if it's something that we did that brought about them, then obviously there's, there's forgiveness as we come before God. But what God is doing in the midst of all these difficulties is he's producing perseverance. What is perseverance? It means to, to abide under difficult circumstances. It's associated with hope and refers to the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb to trial. It is... I. I am walking through this, and I'm not giving in to the pressure. I'm not, I'm not falling under the weight of it. I am walking this journey, and, I, and God is helping me walk it because he's with me. And if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, then you can probably look back and see times in your life when you felt completely afflicted under some pressure, some difficulty, and you got through that by God's grace. And today... You are stronger. You're able to persevere things today that you couldn't then. And guess what? Tomorrow you'll be able to persevere things you can't today because of what you're going through now. God is maturing us. He's growing us up. And that perseverance produces proven character. This means a proof of genuineness. Tried integrity. Integrity that's put to the test and has been proven to be genuine. One commentator defined it this way, to put the to the test for the purpose of approving. And finding that that person tested meets the specifications to put one's stamp of approval on. It's just like when you take a test to, to get a position, to get a, an award, to get a, a diploma, to get something from it. They're testing to see, do you have what it takes? This is what God is doing. He's proving our character. He's putting it to the test so that when we come out, it's demonstrated as integrity. And this produces that hope that we're looking for. 
Dr. Constable, in his comments, says this. He says, our English word tribulation comes from a Latin tribulum. In Paul's day, the tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it, and it was used to thresh the grain. The tribulum was drawn over the grain, and it separated the wheat from the chaff, and that is what God is doing in you and my life. He's separating the good from the bad. He's developing character. He's on to say, the newborn child of God is precious in his sight, but the tested and proven saint means even more because such a one is a living demonstration of the character-developing power of the gospel. When we stand in the presence of God, all material possessions will have been left behind, but all that we have gained by way of spiritual advance will be retained. Sometimes we think, well, why can't God just leave me be a baby Christian? I'm saved, I'm going to heaven one day, just let me be there. God is working in our lives to, to prove this character so that our lives are a display before all the world of the life-transforming power of the gospel. And he has to take us through those difficult places to produce that. And when we understand that, we can rejoice. Because God cares so deeply about us that he wants to see us grow up. He doesn't want us to stay babies. And the Holy Spirit is at work within us to produce that. He says in verse 5, this hope doesn't disappoint because why? Because we know the love of God is poured out into our hearts. That is not our love for him, it's his love for us. Which was demonstrated, we see in verse 8, through the cross. God's love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That word poured out means to, to flood. God's love is flooding our hearts. And you know, when we saw this the other day when the, when the creeks got so much water, they spill out over the sides and they go out into the fields and they dissipate out. And guess what? When God's love is pouring our hearts, flooding in there so that it pours out and defects everybody else. That's awesome. God takes us through these hard things to bring about proven character and when we trust in him, that love flows out of us. We can rejoice in present troubles. And then lastly, down to verse 11 where he says, and not only this, we also exalt or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive the reconciliation. We rejoice in our reconciled relationship that is with God now, not one day in the future, now. We're saved to have a relationship with God here. Not just to kind of muddle through until we get there. Here and now. We don't just have a future hope and purpose for the trials. We have a relationship with God. 
and he wants to cultivate in our lives right now. We need God to be with us. You remember that, that passage in 7 Chronicles when we, when we looked at the life of Asa, King Asa, and, and the prophet Azariah came to him and, and, and said to him and to all the people of Judah, he said, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And when you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. This is relationship. This is putting, in some ways, the onus upon us. God's saying, I'm right here. I haven't moved, and I'm not going to move. And if you, if you want to be with me, I will really be right there with you. If you seek me, I'm going to reveal myself to you. But if you turn your back on me, I'll turn my back there on you. If you want to live your life the way you want to live your life, okay. But know this, when I take my hand off, there will be things that will come. There will be consequences of the decisions you make. You want to walk with me, I'm right there. I walk right with you. If you look for me, seek after me, I will make myself known to you. And so it's on us. What do you want? Do you want a deep and abiding relationship with God? Do you ever look at someone else and say, man, they just seem to be so close with God. God's presence seems to be with them. Why can't I have that? <laughs> you can. But you've got to seek him. You've got to be with him. I'm both encouraged when I read about people in the past who, who just seem to, every time they pray, God just seemed to show up and do something. And yet I'm also like, damn, how come that what happens with me? And then I'm reminded. If I keep reading about their stories, I read about how they spend hours and hours on their knees talking to God. And when they get up off their knees, they walk in obedience to what God has commanded. And then I just expect it's going to happen because, hey, you know what? God likes me. I'm a likable kind of guy. So God would, why wouldn't God want to do that for me? And God clearly says, I will be with you when you are with me. Jesus said this way, he has my commandments and keeps them. He is, is the one who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my Father and we will disclose ourselves to him. There's an intimacy when we are with God and we walk in obedience to his word. We want to do our own thing. There will be a distance. Even for believers, there will be a distance in that relationship with God. So really, what do we want? God has provided these benefits. We have peace with God. We are standing in grace that cannot change. And we have reason to rejoice in the future hope, in the present difficulties, and in the relationship we have with God that we can cultivate by spending time with him and walking in obedience 
to him in his word. And those are just three of the benefits that the scripture gives us for our salvation. The more we understand this, the more it gets into our heart. Proverbs tells us that from the heart flow the springs of life, and it will flow out in the way we live in gratitude for our salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we contemplate the reality of what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus, that this is ours by faith. We no longer have to be concerned about the wrath of God because we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have a standing, which means that we are fully pardoned and perfectly righteous in your eyes. And we have great reason, Lord, to celebrate and rejoice in all that you have promised, all that you are doing, and in the relationship we have with you. God, would you, would you convict us to spend more time with you? Would you convict us to spend more time in obedience as we go out into this world? And Lord, you know what those areas of obedience need to be in our lives. There's, there's many, and there's different things that we've maybe been neglecting. And so would you, by your Holy Spirit, show us individually as well as collectively what we need to be walking in obedience in. Because, Lord, we want you to be with us. We want to know you. We want to make you known. So help us, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.